Good morning, and thanks so much for joining us. My name is Amy, and I just want to take a few moments to welcome you to our service today. If this is your first time tuning in, then we're so glad that you're here, and we would love for you to drop us a comment on Facebook or send us a message with any questions you may have. We'd be glad to answer them. Right now, I'd like to let you know about a few things going on around First Baptist for you and your family. At First Baptist, the safety of you and your family is our top priority. That's why we've taken all of the proper protocols to ensure a safe and healthy worship environment every Sunday morning. We'd love to invite you to join us for in-person worship every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock and 10.30 a.m. You can also find our services every week right here on our Facebook page and on TV 33 through local cable access. If you're a guest joining our live stream for the first time this morning, then we would like to extend a special welcome to you and your family. We would love to hear from you. Send us a message at info at fbclagrange.org or on our Facebook page to let us know that you've joined us today, and we would love to follow up with you. Keep up with all that goes on here at FBC LaGrange by following our Facebook page and visiting our website at fbclagrange.org. Thanks so much again for joining us this morning. The service will begin in just a few moments. Christmas, the King has come today, for unto us a child is born. If you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. We're going to be in Isaiah for two weeks in a row. This is part one of this sermon series, uh, The King Has Come, specifically the title, For Unto Us a Child is Born. We find in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, Perhaps the greatest messianic promise given about the birth of Christ in all of the Bible. But in order to understand the full impact of this promise, we need to understand what is taking place when this promise is given to the Israelites. Isaiah, like many of the other prophets, would often use word pictures metaphors to teach spiritual truth to the people. In Isaiah chapter 8, the prophet Isaiah talks about the gentle waters. We, we heard Millie playing the, the harp for Silent Night, such a, a peaceful, calming song. The, the image Isaiah gives is of gentle waters flowing, and those gentle waters flowing are that of the provision of God for his people. But there's a contrast given to that found in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 7. And the reason God says this is because the Israelites have rejected God's gracious provision. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many. The king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. The river, the great river, the mighty river that Isaiah is speaking of is that of the Euphrates River. 
which you hopefully learned about in world history class, the Tigris and Euphrates River in Mesopotamia, which was really kind of the birthplace of civilization as we know, things spread out from there. That's where the Assyrian Empire was located, and they were coming like a mighty river, and that river was going to flood the nation of Israel. The idea given that the powerful word picture of a flood. There are few things more terrifying and destructive than that of a flood. A mighty river having too much water in it flowing up over the banks of that river and the water just comes in and sweeps in and swallows up everything in its path. I know it's not a pleasant thing to think about. But just imagine that you find yourself trapped in a flood. And the water comes up to your knees. And you think to yourself, I hope the water will stop flowing in. But it keeps flowing in. And it gets up to your waist. And it keeps flowing in. And you're starting to bob up and down now as it gets to your chest. And the water gets up to your neck. And you're on your tiptoes. That's what Isaiah describes in the next verse in Isaiah 8. 8. He talks about this water's going to flow into the northern tribes of Israel, but it's not going to stop there. It's going to flow on down into the south of the country of Israel, all the way to Judah. And we know from Scripture that the Assyrians are going to surround the city of Jerusalem and lay siege to it, cutting off all water, all food, to basically starve the people in Jerusalem to death. And there are 180,000 of those soldiers gathered around the city of Jerusalem. And it's as if the waters of God's judgment are rising higher and higher. And the people of Judah are on their tiptoes up to their neck. That's the word picture given in this chapter. I preached about that a few weeks ago in the series on Hezekiah. Were it not for that godly, humble king, Hezekiah, who knew he had no chance to defeat them in battle with his own strength, he went to the Lord in prayer. And God heard his prayer. And Isaiah, the same prophet here, prophesied that God would deliver Israel. And God did send his angel in the night and rescued the people of Jerusalem. But that's how pervasive and how destructive the coming judgment was going to be that Isaiah would use the terrifying image of a flood. Surely you've seen a flood in action. You've seen footage of what floods do. The water can pick up objects that we can't pick up in our own strength. Cars, structures, captured, swept away by the power of that water. Now, none of this has happened yet to Israel, but it's going to happen. Isaiah is warning them. He's prophesying unto them, doing what a prophet is supposed to do. And he goes on and gives another word picture besides that of a flood. Look back at Isaiah 8, now verse 22, the last verse of that chapter. It says, and they will look to the earth, they being the people of Israel, 
But behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. What comes to my mind is all the times that Jesus would give parables and at the end would say they would be cast out into outer darkness. The thick dark. What a frightening word picture. Not only are the Israelites going to be swept away like a flood, now they're going to be in great despair, in total darkness, unable to see a way out, devoid of all light. And it's all because of their sin. This is the judgment of God that is coming upon the land of Israel. And I would argue that is coming upon any nation that turns away from the living God. That's the backdrop. That's the desperate situation that Israel is finding itself in. And then Isaiah gives this wonderful promise in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. But I want to look at the first five verses. In these first five verses of Isaiah 9, Isaiah uses a verb tense called the prophetic perfect verb tense. Because these events are going to happen in the future, yet these verbs describe these events as if they have already happened. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9 with me. So he's just said that there's going to be darkness, the thickness of darkness, the stress, the gloom, the anguish. Verse 1, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. Her often represents Israel in the scriptures. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. I want to stop there. And give you two life lessons from these first five verses. Then I'll conclude the message by giving you the great messianic promise found in verse 6. Number one. The more vast the darkness, the more powerful the light shines. Verse 1 mentions two of the tribes of Israel that aren't often talked about, Zebulun and Naphtali, they are going to be severely impacted by the Assyrian conquest into Israel. In the former times, he says those tribes are going to experience contempt. They're going to be humbled by this destruction coming unto them. But in the latter time, we're told that God's going to make glorious this region of the nation of Israel. 
Isaiah uses the name of that region, Galilee of the nations, or some translations, Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, if you were to ask any law-abiding, devout Jewish person of Isaiah's day, where might be the place in the nation of Israel where the glory of God might be displayed and revealed, they would not answer Galilee. We get a little glimpse of this in the New Testament when Jesus has come on the scene in his public ministry in John chapter 1, when John the Baptist sees him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John, some of John's disciples begin to follow Jesus who says to them, Come and see, come and see. And then one of those who came and saw Jesus was named Philip. Philip spends time with Jesus. He goes to his friend Nathaniel and tells Nathaniel about the fact that he believed he had found the Messiah. And Nathaniel asked where he was from, this Jesus. He says, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And how does Nathaniel answer him in John 1:46? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's the mindset. And that's even in Galilee itself. <laughs> that's in the part of Israel that was not... Now, it's a beautiful part of the country. The Sea of Galilee. It's peaceful. It's a wonderful place to go when you visit the nation of Israel. But it was not believed or known or felt to be a great place where God's glory would come. But that's exactly where Jesus will be raised. That's exactly where Jesus will begin his ministry. And the very glory of God will be right there in Galilee. The more vast the darkness, the more powerful the light shines. Verse 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. A great light is coming to the people. Now, great darkness is coming first to the Israelites. It's going to begin with the Assyrians, but then it's going to move to the Babylonians, the next world power that will exile, that will attack, burn, destroy the people of Israel. And then it will move to the Persians, the Medo-Persians, and then later the Greeks. And then at the time of Jesus, the Romans will be in charge, occupying the people of Israel Hundreds of years that they really never have their own freedom. Deep, thick, suffocating darkness is descending upon the Israelites. You've probably experienced that before. Perhaps you wake up early in the morning, the sun has not come up yet. Maybe you're there with your spouse and you have to kind of stumble around in the dark, or maybe you, you experience what, you wake up in the middle of the night because the power goes off and, and all the lights in your neighborhood are, are just pitch black, just eerie, dark, thick darkness. And the longer you're in that state, looking around in the darkness, 
when the light is finally reintroduced in that setting, it is so bright. Now, as a parent, one of the meanest things you can do to your children when you're trying to wake them up in the morning is to turn on the lights, right? The overhead lights, it's bright, it's blinding, it pierces, it just seems so much brighter than when the light has already been on in the room. That's because the more vast the darkness, the greater the light shines. Isaiah is telling Israel in these verses, the light is about to switch on. The spotlight is about to shine upon these people who are walking in darkness. John, in his gospel, also talks about light. Keep your place in Isaiah and flip over to John's gospel. It's the fourth of the gospels, right? before the book of Acts in the New Testament. You come to chapter 1. John talks a good bit about light in his gospel. He's speaking in verses 6 through 9, not about himself. He's named John. He's John the Apostle. But he's talking about John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus, who went before Jesus. He says this in verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. The light that Isaiah is giving in Isaiah chapter 9 is light to the people of the land of Israel who are walking in darkness. But the light that John is talking about in chapter 1 is the light which is coming to everyone, coming into the world. The true light. He talks about the true light. This true light is an actual person. Look back at verses 4 and 5. We know from the context that him, here is Jesus, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's the thing about darkness. No matter how thick, how foreboding, how the, the despair it might bring in your life, how it might envelop and, and lead to all kinds of emotions of fear and depression and distress. No matter how great the darkness, the darkness is no match for the true light. Because when Jesus shines into any darkness, he is the true light. And it will radiate the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness must flee from Jesus. So is there great darkness in our world right now? This is yes, this is no. What do you say? Yes, lots of darkness in our world. Thick darkness that we're seeing in so many places and so many levels that's just enveloping. There's a thickness, but there is a true light that is greater than the darkness, and his name is Jesus. 
Amen. And he has come to shine upon all those who walk in the dark. Light has come. Messiah, baby boy, has come to save us all. The more vast the darkness, the greater the light will shine. But secondly, these verses tell us that restoration and joy are promised to a scattered and saddened people. Restoration and joy are promised to a scattered and saddened people. Look at verse 3. Just the first part of that verse. You have multiplied the nation. Again, that prophetic tense he's speaking here. Israel was not about to experience in the immediate, their immediate future growth and multiplication. The Assyrians had this cruel thing that they would do to people that they would conquer. And the analogy of a flood was really quite accurate because they would sweep into a country and they would take out of that country people that lived there. And then they would disperse them just like a flood disperses all the debris and the people in its path. They would take the Israelites elsewhere and then they would take people from other countries that they had captured and bring those people into Israel and force them to live in a foreign land. And it was their strategy, not because they were just all about a multicultural society. No, it was their strategy to weaken ethnically the nations that they were conquering. It was an attempt to weaken to destroy the fabric of government and culture that was in those countries, a sense that you would try to destabilize and ruin those places so that the Assyrians could still be master over all. And the Jewish people experienced this, especially the northern ten tribes. That's why Galilee is called Galilee of the Nations. That's why Galilee is called Galilee of the Gentiles, specifically the Samaritans. They were part Jew, part other. The Assyrians brought people in. They intermarried. And there was great hostility between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. But if you wanted to know where Gentiles lived in the nation of Israel, you would go to Galilee because you would find them there. The people of God are going to be weakened. They're going to be scattered. And the Babylonians who come to power after the Assyrians will do the same thing. In essence, we know they take Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, his three friends, they take them and the best and the brightest of all of Israel into captivity to brainwash them, to convert them to the ways of the Babylonians. There's, there's going to be exiles, there's going to be destruction scattering and a great sadness of the people. And this dark period in Israel's history is going to be for many, many years. I want to give you one example. In the midst of this, them being exiled, Ezra, the great scribe, led a group of exiles back from Babylonian land, or at the time it was the, the Persians, the Medes who were in charge, and he brings them back to rebuild the temple. And they're rebuilding the foundation of that 
marvelous structure that King Solomon had built in his day and time. If you've ever seen a model of the city of Jerusalem online, just, just pull up a model. Not right now, I'm preaching, all right? But, but eventually, after the sermon, pull it up. You'll see the thing that just jumps out at you with Jerusalem is the temple. It was massive. Massive structure. You'd see it from miles away. And so it was, the, it was their pride. It was their hope. It was their, this was the temple for the Lord their God. And it had been destroyed down to the very bare foundation. And it's being rebuilt. And it's being dedicated. And notice the response in Ezra chapter 3 verse 12. This shows us the power of perception. It says, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Some are like, yeah, the temple's being rebuilt. Others said, no, we're not going to rejoice. This is nothing like it was before. We are defeated. We are in despair. We are destitute. What was once a great wonder of the world has now been produced down to rubble. It's reduced to rubble. It was such a depressing, sad scene for so many, especially those who'd known the glory of the temple before. You see, Israel is going to be a scattered people, a broken people, a ruined people. But Isaiah is saying it's not always going to be that way. The darkness, the sadness, the scattering is not going to last. Light is coming and the light would restore and rebuild their broken nation. Look back at verse 3 of Isaiah 9. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. Joy is coming. We know why joy is coming to them. They didn't know why or how. We know joy to the world. The Lord has come. The nation is going to be increased. The people of God are going to grow exponentially from just being Hebrew people. There's going to be a great grafting in of people from other nations and tribes and tongue. And the people of God are going to see massive explosion in numbers. God is going to build for himself his people. The nation will be increased. Growth, prosperity, victory. It's all coming. God says, I love this promise in Psalm 35. Speaking of God, for it says this, Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Isn't that a great promise? Listen, I know in this room there have been many experiences of weeping, of sadness, of despair, perhaps even in this past dark year. But joy is promised. Let's apply this to our lives, church. This has been a dark year, a hard year for our nation, for our world. So many people are scattered, isolated, 
despair, frustration, depression, depression abounds. Many are really afraid about the moral and constitutional foundations of our own nation being radically altered and changed. And as dark as it might seem, we must remember the darkness can never overcome the true light. No matter how sad or hopeless you may feel or others around you may be feeling, we must know that weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we know this because of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Here's the promise. I'll preach a whole sermon next week on verses 6 and 7. But I just want you to feel now the power of the promise in light of the despair that Israel was about to experience. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called, it's a compound name, (laughs) Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is our light, our joy, our victory, our peace. It's not that he gives that to us. He is that for us. He is the child to be born. And there's no greater joy. Listen. It's, we've had some weddings. We had a wedding yesterday in the sanctuary. We have one next weekend. And, and weddings are just they're marvelous. Joyful thing. I think it's a flip of a coin. Which is more joyful? A, a wedding or, or the birth of a child? I mean, I can remember... All three of my children being born in the joy. Oh, the joy that comes into your heart. To think that unto my family, unto my wife, unto myself, unto us, a child has been born. A child has been given for us to love and parent and lead. We don't deserve this honor, God. You've been so good. Oh, joy comes. Hope comes. Light comes. It's just like the Gathers wrote in that wonderful old song, Because He Lives, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the joy and pride that baby gives. Isn't it something that of all the things Isaiah could say here, of all the promises that he could give to a nation that's going to experience tremendous darkness, a flood of destruction and despair, he says, a child is coming. A child is born. Jesus has come for you. Jesus has been given to you. And not just to us, but to everyone in the world who is walking in this same darkness that we're walking in. There's light far brighter than the light shining on this stage. His name is Jesus. And you better believe in this backdrop, in this culture, in this environment of darkness and despair, the message of Jesus can shine brighter than ever before. So share him. Tell others about him. Pray with me. God, I pray. As we prepare for this final song of responding to this message. Lord, as we hear the gospel 
through every verse of this song. Lord, I pray that through us as your people, that you would draw others to know Jesus Christ. Lord, if someone has never bowed their knee to Messiah who has come for them, that people today listening online, people listening on television, people watching, people here with me, people in the overflow, that people listening would right now open their hearts, God, and minds to say yes to Jesus, the baby boy who has come to save us all because he's going to grow up. He's going to be a man. He's going to live the life that we couldn't live for ourselves. He's going to die the death that we deserve to die. He's going to take our sins and he's going to bury those sins and rise back from the dead to forever forgive our sins. And because of that, he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, today would you help us to find hope and joy and purpose in the truth of the gospel of who you are, Jesus, you came. The light has come to shine. Joy has come to us. There's coming someone who is going to reverse what took place at the Tower of Babel. He's going to bring together people from every nation, tribe, and tongue into one kingdom, one family forever. His name is Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Help us to worship you, to praise the Father, to praise the Son, to praise the Spirit, three in one. Let us feel your power and presence. Let the truth of this gospel take root in our hearts in fresh ways. Let people be com converted today. Let people be saved today. Let people be greatly strengthened today with hope, with light, with joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand with us now. We're going to sing one of my favorite newer songs that just talks through the gospel so clearly. If you'd like to make Jesus your Savior, your Lord, like those young men did in that baptism video you watched, a testimony. If you want that to be your story, you come. I'll share with you how you can do that. This altar is always open. This is the time we take in new members. You come now. Let's respond. Most of all, let's worship Jesus. Let's worship our Father Let's receive the power, the filling of the Holy Spirit to be His light in this dark world.